Well, this morning, um, you can see Kyle standing up here next to me. Um, as we work through this series called Lifestyles, um, months ago, we talked about what do we want to talk about when we talk about living a lifestyle that God wants us to live. And uh, one of those things that came to the surface was we need to live a lifestyle of worship to the Lord. And way back when, I said, Kyle, what do you say you take that one? <laughs> I mean, who better to talk to us about a lifestyle of worship than our worship pastor? And so um, I asked him weeks and weeks ago, months ago, and uh, he agreed to do it. And so um, this is the second from the last message in this series. Next week, I'm going to talk about living a, a redeemed life. What does that exactly mean? But I don't want to get ahead of us. I want us to focus right in on what it means to have a lifestyle of worship. So uh, Kyle was gracious enough to um, work hard on this message, and, um, and I know God's got something great for us. So Kyle, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for the opportunity to preach. I know I appreciate that. And I promise I will not be as long as him. <laughs> Just kidding. No, okay, I won't be as long as Pat. <laughs> He's not here. That's okay. We can, we can do that. I was thinking I was going to get a couple amens about that. <laughs> well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we've been in this series, like Jeremy says, lifestyle, and we've been talking about um, how to live uh, uh, a life of worship to God um, through our finances and through our relationships. And today I want to talk to you about living a lifestyle of worship. What does that look like? How do you know when you're living it? What makes for real worship? And how do you know when God is pleased with it? Or how do you know that God's not pleased with the worship or the way that you're living your life? And when I say worship to God, I'm not talking about the 15 or 20 minutes that we um, spend here singing um, to God. That's important. Um, but I feel like here in America, we've kind of categorized worship to something that happens on a Sunday morning. Or if you look on um, iTunes or Spotify and you type in worship, it's a genre. And I know some people come in um, you know, from the Common Grounds area when worship starts. And uh, we, we see you, by the way. The worship team sees you coming in so late. But uh, no, it's okay. Come in. I'm glad you're here. But as if, as, <laughs> as if worship has a start time, start or end time. And uh, I just want to say worship is so much broader than that. It's so much bigger than what we um, do here on a Sunday morning. You know, we're always worshiping something, you know, outside of church. It's, it might be our reputation. It might be our successfulness. Um, it might be our work. It might be our school. Um, it might be even our children. I know a couple families um, that are, their kids are in so many things, and it just, like, dominates their life. They're running to football practice, running to soccer practice, and, and it's almost like that becomes their life. And the question I want to ask today, what constitutes a lifestyle of worship. What is the correct way to worship? You know, it's a, a question that's been asked before. Jesus, during his ministry years, actually met a woman who, who was asking that very same question. What is the right way to worship? This story is found in John chapter 4, and you might have heard of it before. It's known as the woman at the well. And Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, and in order to get to Galilee, he had to pass through a small uh, city called Samaria. 
And now the people of Israel were enemies with the Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria. They didn't get along. The Jews actually considered the Samaritans half-breeds. And the reason why the Jews didn't like the Samaritans so much is because the Syrians in 720 B.C. invaded Israel, all right, and took over the capital city, Samaria, and it was under Assyrian, Assyrian control. And actually, this was God's judgment on Israel. If you look back in, in 2 Kings, Israel was really messed up. They were worshiping the Lord, but they were also um, worshiping other things, too. I, I don't know if you remember the, the two golden calves that they, you know, put up. That was all around that time. You can find, you can read all about that in 2 Kings. Um, but here in, in 2 Kings 17, 18, it says, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. He was angry with what they were doing. He's a jealous God. And he says this, he, and he removed them out of his sight. And none was left but the tried tribe of Judah. Now Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and the Lord scattered them. Only one was left. Judah was left. Assyria conquered Israel. It goes on to say in 2 Kings 17, 24, it says, And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutta, Ava, Hamath, and another country that I do not know how to say the name of, so I'm not going to even try. And he placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So this was common uh, when you would take control or when you would conquer another country. You would bring some of your own people to live among, and then you would deport whoever you conquered. And that way that your culture would be adapted, your way of life would be adopted, and um, it, it, it would, you would become basically your own country. All right? And the new people that were living in Samaria got the name Samaritans. That's how they got it. And some of the Samaritans, after a few years and after some time, started worshiping the Lord. They started worshiping Israel's God. They started uh, worshiping Yahweh. But they had different ways of doing it. And, and the Israelites and the Samaritans couldn't agree what was the correct way to worship God. Uh, it's interesting because both of them believed that they were the true heirs of the covenant with Abraham. And each believed that they were truly worshiping God the correct way. They couldn't agree on it. And so in John chapter 4, we see Jesus, he stops at this well, and it's not just any old well, it's Jacob's well. Jacob's well was dug some 2,000 years beforehand, and he meets this woman, and he begins to have a conversation with her. He meets a Samaritan woman, and this in itself is pretty radical in a couple different ways. For one, men didn't talk to women out in public. It just wasn't culturally acceptable. Men hardly even talked to their wives in public. It just, it, you just didn't do that. It was a very patriarchal, patriarchal culture. And secondly, this woman that was at the well was Samaritan. And we know that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And this kind of thing, I want to say, is normal for Jesus to do. He was countercultural. He was accepting. He was inclusive. He was different than the others of his day, and it's just remarkable. And through their conversation, this Samaritan woman ended up figuring that Jesus was some sort of great prophet. He had to be some sort of prophet because he knew about her. And if you read the story, you come to find out that this Samaritan woman had, had five wives, and, and the current man that she was living with wasn't her husband. And so that because of her lifestyle, she was shunned by her own people. She was shunned by the Samaritans. 
and she was despised by the Israelites. She was completely alone. You know, usually women, when, when they came uh, to the well, they'd do it early in the morning, and they would do it together because it was a time of socializing that they'd be able to, to spend time with one another. And if you read in this story in John chapter 4, we find that this woman is coming in the middle afternoon alone. She was shunned by the Samaritans and despised by the Israelites, completely alone. But what does Jesus do? He still initiates a conversation with her. He pursues and he notices her even in her darkest times. He pursues her when she was far from God. Her lifestyle didn't match up to the way God would have desired, yet he still engaged her. In church, he pursues each and one of us the same way. When our lives don't match up, when our lifestyle doesn't match up, when we think we're far from God, he's always there. He chases us. He loves us when we don't deserve it. He loves us when we are far from God. You know, we sang that song, Reckless Love, and, and I've had a couple conversations with some of you about this song, and, and they were good questions, questioning, um, you know, why, why does this song say God's love is reckless? God is not reckless. And um, I welcome those conversations because I think it's so important that we're singing truth uh, here at Faith Church. We, we spend a lot of time. I want to make sure that we're choosing songs in our worship um, that are, are based on his word. Uh, there, I was at a conference uh, last week, and, and the speaker there said, if you want to know the church's theology, take a look at their worship songs. And so we really want to make sure that we're singing the truth. But this song Reckless love is not saying that God himself is reckless. It's not. He pursues us and loves us. He's not looking uh, to gain anything by offering his love. And he loves us in spite of our messed up lives. And God values us to actively seek us. Welcome us into intimacy when it doesn't make sense. This love that he's showing doesn't make sense. And yet he lays down this love day in and day out. We're not perfect. The scriptures say that we've all sinned and we continue to do so. So we're in this process of sanctification, but we still make mistakes. And I, I know it, it pains the heart of the Lord, but still he chases us. Still he's there. Still he loves us. That's no doubt God's grace just shining through. Amen. Anyway, if we go on to John 4, verse 19, this woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she sees this op as an opportunity to ask Jesus a question, a question about worship, a question that the Samaritans and the Jewish have been fighting over. They wanted to know what was the correct way was. And she said this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, you Jews say, that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. They worship in the temple, they're saying. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. 
The Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he shall tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Wow, what a powerful conversation. Worship in spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean? The word spirit here is referring to our own inner life, our emotions, our will. When it comes down to it, it's our heart. Worshiping God in spirit is a way that we can connect to God person to person. It's about being present. It's about being uh, there and offering our heart in praise to God. And worship in spirit is not restricted to one form or method, but I will say this. I think some form of expression is important. How we feel and what we feel about God needs to be expressed. It needs to continually be expressed day in and day out. You know, when I got married, I, I told my wife that I loved her on our wedding day. And uh, if that was the only time I told her that I loved her, I'm sure after some time, years down the road, or maybe it would only take a couple months, my, my wife would say, hey, how, how come you don't tell me that you love me? And if I would tell her, hey, I told you on our wedding day, I haven't changed my mind, and I'll let you know if I do, that probably won't get, that, that, that's probably not going to sound very convincing to her, is it? True love has to continually be expressed and expressed often. The Psalm 51.15 says, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. What we know to be true about God and what we feel in our hearts about him must be expressed. What we know to be true about him must be expressed. But I also like to add that it must be felt first. Because formality without feeling is not pleasing to God. Just going through the motions is not pleasing God. Just going through the ceremony is not pleasing to God. And I think we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. If, if, if there's technical uh, difficulties, you know, before worship starts on a Sunday morning, or I've got a busy day, or I'm trying to navigate of all the things, all the different pieces, parts, moving parts of a sermon, my mind can wander ahead and I could lose focus on what I'm actually singing and my heart's not in it. That's not pleasing to the Lord. God says in Isaiah 29, the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. So tradition uh, learned by repetition. Just going through the motions. It's because it's doing something because we've always done it, and it loses that heart. Worshiping in spirit begins when we come to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And when we see him as our creator, we see him as our savior who loves us so much. And we're overwhelmed by his grace that he shows us day in, day out, this, this reckless love that he just showers on us. Worshiping in spirit is when our hearts are filled with, with awe and with wonder and just overcome with thankfulness that the love of God that he has shown us by sending his son for us. 
really that's, that's why we worship. We worship him because of his redemption work in our lives. So where does this worship take place? It takes place in our hearts. Jesus said this. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. It starts in your heart. You know, and I could argue that some of the coldest, some of the most unmeaningful worship can happen and take place in the church. And some of the most powerful worship can take place in the weirdest, most unassuming places. I think of the stable where Jesus was born. Worship took place there. And I think about the uh, prison cell in Philippi that Paul and Silas were being held prisoner. They had this huge worship service, and then the Lord broke the chains and the gates. I said first service that some would say that their worship brought down the house. They didn't get it. But singing along to Christian karaoke, <laughs> praying and listening to a sermon, taking communion once a month doesn't mean that we've worshipped. Because we can do each and every one of those things with empty hearts. It doesn't matter where we are. Faith Church isn't a magical building. This building may help facilitate worship. It might help create an environment, an atmosphere. That's something that we're huge on. We want to make sure that um, our environment is not distracting. We also want to use creative elements that will draw people and focus people on the Lord. But there's nothing special about this place because we can worship God anywhere, and worship starts from our heart. Now, what I do want to add is I'm not saying that meeting together is unimportant because I think it plays a vital role in the believer's life. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, not forgetting to meet together, not forgetting to do church, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Corporate worship, the, the time that we spend together with other believers, plays a vital role in rejuvenating our hearts, refreshing our hearts for the Lord. Martin Luther once said this, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. Our hearts can be refreshed when we gather as the body of Christ together. You know, I, I say this often when, I, when I'm doing the greeting that each and every one of us has gifts. That we have people here uh, at Faith Church that have the gift of compassion and, and are the first ones to be with somebody when they lose a loved one. And we have people that have the gift of hospitality and they're the first ones to Take a meal to somebody that isn't hurting. We got people that have gift of teaching that are, are offering up their time to teach our kids. And it's all to encourage one another, to, to, to rejuvenate our hearts towards the Lord. Because we go through difficult times. There's times in our lives where we don't feel like worshiping. And our heart needs to be refreshed. And it needs to be refreshed by gathering with other believers. This corporate worship is so important. Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with thankfulness in your hearts. That goes back to the heart. 
There's a, a verse in Psalms, and it was a psalmist that was going through a difficult time, and, and he says, when I thought how to understand this, to, to understand what was going on in his life, it seemed to me like a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The act of corporate worship revitalizes our soul. It's a both and. Worship starts in our heart. It doesn't matter where we are. We can worship uh, when we're doing chores around the house. I knew of a, a, a lady who had a plaque above her sink that said, uh, worship happens three times a day. You know, I cannot worship while doing dishes. I'm sorry. I do not like dishes. But true worship can take place anywhere. But there's something special that happens when we gather as a church, when we gather corporately. There's also many different forms of worship, different ways to express your worship to God. No one style of music, not one type of instrument uh, is better. It doesn't matter. The Bible is full of various forms of worship, different styles, different ways to express it. I think of King David when he brought the ark back, uh, was dancing, was dancing in the middle of the streets. His wife wasn't too happy. His wife was embarrassed. I remember my dad used to dance out in public once in a while, did a little jig, and man, I'd be so embarrassed. I, I don't know you, dad. What are you doing? But now that I'm a dad, I love dancing in public just to embarrass my daughter. <laughs> it's so much fun. There's people that shouted for joy. They bursted in the songs. Peter and John, uh, when they healed the lame man in Jesus' name, that lame man went up and, and started leaping and, and, and shouting praise. He went to the temple. The overall lesson about worshiping the Lord in spirit is that worship of God is not to be conformed to a single geographical location. Because with the coming of Christ and the separation of the Jew and the Gentile was no longer relevant. That's what Jesus was saying. Nor was the centrality of the, the temple in worship. It doesn't matter where you are because each and every one of us, because of Christ, are called God's children. We have gained equal access to God through him. So what Jesus was saying is that worship is a matter of the heart, not these external actions. Not going through uh, these repetitive motions or, or saying words without having our heart behind it. Worshiping in spirit. But Jesus also says we need to worship him in truth. Worshiping in truth rather, or directed by truth rather than ceremony. And what does worshiping him in truth mean? One, it involves accuracy. Knowing what God has revealed about himself, not just having our own idea of what God is like or what we want him to be like or what we wish him to be like. But honestly searching his word, his word that he's given us, and to find out what he's done and who he says he is. He's our creator. He's our ruler. He's our redeemer and savior. This is where the Samaritans got it wrong. Verse 22, he was saying, you worship what you do not know, referring to the Samaritans. The Samaritans, they were sincere about their worship, but they had bad information about who God was to base it on. Sincerity alone does not make for acceptable 
worship. Sincerity alone does not make for acceptable worship. And the Jewish leaders, on the other hand, they made the opposite mistake, I believe. They had all this truthful information about God, and they went through all the motions, and they said all the right words at the right time. And they went through the correct ceremony, but they often lacked the sincerity of the heart. It was just lip service to God. Both spirit and truth, worshiping in spirit and truth, are critical for what God desires from us. The person who is sincere with their worship but doesn't have a correct understanding of God is missing out. They really are. The person who knows the Bible both forward and backward and can expound on the, on the nature of God and go on to all these different uh, discussions and, and talk about theology, but he feels nothing that moves him to express his love has missed something just as critical. Missed something just as critical. Spirit without truth leads to shallow, over-emotional experience that could be compared to a high. As soon as the, the emotion is over, when the fervor cools, so does the worship. And truth without spirit, truth without the heart, can result in a dry, passion, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. We don't want that. So where do we find this truth? How do we, how do we know? God's word and the scriptures. We focus on the message of Christ and the truth of Jesus. I go back to Colossians 3.16. It says, let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel. That's, that's gathering together and encouraging one another. With all the wisdom he gives, that wisdom, that truth. And it says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful hearts. It's bringing it back to hearts of gratitude. And what we know about God is going to overflow. What we know, what we study in his word is going to overflow. It's going to, it's going to overflow from our heart and impact how we feel about God. It involves truthful authenticity in, in your life day in and day out. It's not hypocritical. Romans 12, 1, 2 says that we are to give God our lives as our spiritual service of worship. Giving our whole lives, not just on a Sunday morning, giving our whole lives day in and day out is our spiritual service of worship. Everything that we are, worship is a lifestyle. Worship happens here, but continues as you go out the church doors. Worship happens when we live out what we say we believe, worship happens when we're careful with the language that we use when we're at work or when we're with our friends. Worship happens when you take time to, to visit somebody in need or spend time with somebody who's lonely, or maybe somebody who's different than you, somebody that you don't get along with. Worship happens when you share your faith with someone. And worship happens whenever you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God because of who he is and what he's done for us. So let's strive to be known as a people here at Faith Church, as Christians who worship both in spirit and in truth, what we know about God impacting what we feel about God, and that leads to praise. Let's not 
neglect to meet together. Life can be difficult. Life can be tiresome. I don't know what you, you, you've been through here just to get to church, but we need each other to build each other up, to rejuvenate our, our hearts for the Lord. Let's make it a lifestyle. There's one song I want to sing. Um, it's a song that was written maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's called The Heart of Worship. And uh, first service, I was saying, I said, hey, I want to sing this older song. And somebody came up to me. He's like, didn't that song just come out yesterday? She said, no. But it's a song that uh, talks about getting back to the heart of worship and how, how God looks deeper. Um, he looks at the heart. He, re, he, he desires the heart. And the song is about offering. It's not about anything else but our heart. So I'd encourage you to take a moment to uh, maybe just rest and sit and, and, and uh, let your heart be rejuvenated and then uh, join in singing when, when you feel led. You 
search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart well i'm coming back to heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry church as a people that worship from our hearts Lord that worship you based on your truth and what you've done for us Lord we want to express what we really feel and not just say words out of formality not just sing songs out of formality Lord but have hearts of thankfulness for what you've done we thank you for who you are Lord and I just ask that we be a church that goes out and loves our community and that people can see you and see that we have a lifestyle of worship to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. See what I mean? Who needs to talk about a lifestyle of worship better than Kyle? I Thank you, Kyle, for that. That was wonderful. Yeah.